Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Braille Institute's Dr. Bill Education Telephone Series, where each month we talk about different topics that relate to vision and vision development of children. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and I am the Consulting Director of Low Vision Education at the Braille Institute. Now, this evening, we're going to be talking about some of the more common vision problems that we see among children who are born premature. Now, this is a very, very important topic to talk about because with the advances in medical technology today, we know that children who are born premature are now surviving, whereas in years past, many of these children who are born premature would not survive. Now, when we think about the development of a child in utero, we know that the development of the visual system, it begins at a very early age. If we study different types of scans of a fetus, we can see that even by the age of 15 weeks, you could identify that there are parts of the eye that are already developed. Now, when we think about the development of the fetus, we know that there's some very critical time periods. By 26 weeks of gestation, this is generally the time that we find that the lungs are then starting to develop. By 32 weeks gestation, we then see that the blood vessels of the retina are then fully developed. So what often happens if a child is born premature, we often may find that the child does not have the lung capacity to breathe on his or her own, and they often need additional oxygen to enable the tissues of the eye and the body to breathe. Now, what we find is that there are many times that if a child is born before, before 32 weeks gestation, we often have to be concerned about their vision. One of the things that often happens is that when a child is born before 32 weeks gestation, the retina is not fully vascularized, meaning that the blood vessels that come into the eye, they're not fully developed. Now, the purpose of these blood vessels in the retina are to provide the retina cells with oxygen and other nutrients. So when a child is born before 32 weeks gestation, many times we find that the blood vessels are not able to distribute blood normally. So when these children are born, many times they are put in oxygen and when they're placed in these high levels of oxygen, the retinal blood vessels think that they do not need to grow further because there is enough oxygen. So as a child stays in the incubator with higher levels of oxygen for weeks at a time, we often find that the blood vessels stop growing. And by the time that the child is able to be removed from the oxygen because the lungs are strong enough to breathe on its own, the child is taken off of the oxygen, and at that time, the retina often feels that, hey, there's not enough oxygen. We're starving for oxygen here. And when the retina sends out these signals that they are starving for oxygen, the blood vessels of the eye start to grow. There is something called a vasogenic factor that's released, and the blood vessels start to grow. Now, these new blood vessels that are growing are growing with the purpose of trying to distribute more blood and more oxygen to the tissues of the retina. But often, 
these blood vessels are very, very leaky. They bleed and they leak, and when they leak like that, there's scar tissue that develops, and the scar tissue can be very, very dangerous for the eye. When the retina has this type of leakage of blood and scar tissue develops, one of the things that often happens is that there's going to be a lot of white-colored scar tissue, and this can obstruct the way that light enters the eye, and the light will not focus sharply on the retina. So as a result, the children often see very blurred. In other cases, the scar tissue will attach and it will grab onto the retina, very similar to the way that a spider web might grab onto wallpaper. And when it does grab onto the retina like that, it can pull it and it could tear the retina and it could also lead to a retinal detachment. Now, many, many years ago, one of the things that we often would see were children who had something that was called retrolental fibroplasia. This simply means that behind the lens inside the eye, the pupil of the eye would not appear to be black. You could actually see some of the scar tissue that was right behind the pupil in the lens of the eye. When there was this level of scar tissue, it was very, very dangerous because it often caused the entire retina to detach and these children would be totally blind. So retrolental fibroplasia is one term that represents when the scar tissue develops in the eye. And today, we tend to use the term retinopathy of prematurity, meaning that there's damage to the retina as a result of the premature birth. Now, one of the things that's very important to remember is that all children who are born premature, they really do need to be seen by a retina specialist who can go into the hospital and inspect the tissues of the eye. Many times, for example, a child immediately at birth, you could look at their eyes, and the eyes may look perfectly fine. But it is often weeks after. It's very often between 32 to 36 weeks after gestation, the conception period, that the premature child will actually develop that type of a retinopathy of prematurity. So what I mean by this is let's say that a child was born at 25 weeks gestation. This is a very, very premature baby. The doctors go in and look at the eyes at 25 weeks, the day after the child is born, and they probably would not notice any kind of scarring in the retina. Now, what's very important is that they continue to follow this child, and right around the time of 32, 33, 34 weeks, that is when the child should then be seen. So you often have to continue to have the child be seen by a retina specialist before the child is discharged. In other words, you can't just have one examination by a retina specialist for a premature child before the child is released. The retina specialist often will know what is precisely the time that there's the greatest risk of this type of retinopathy of prematurity. Now, in some cases, when children have retinopathy of prematurity, these vasogenic factors are actually released throughout the entire eye. It's not only going to release blood vessel growth in the back of the retina, but it could also affect the front of the eye. Now, in the front portion of the eye, just in front of the iris, 
which is the colored part of the eye, and behind the cornea, which is the clear front layer of the eye, there's a chamber that's called the anterior chamber that is filled with a watery fluid. This fluid is constantly being made and it's constantly being drained. Now what we find is that in some children who have retinopathy of prematurity, the drainage system of this mechanism, it becomes blocked with blood vessels. And when the pressure of the fluid increases in the eye, it is called glaucoma. So as a result, we see that many children who are premature, they may have the retinopathy of prematurity, and they may also develop glaucoma if the blood vessels have blocked the drainage of the aqueous fluid. A third physical type of change that we often will see with children who are born premature is that the internal lens of the eye may also be clouded, and this is something that is called a cataract. Now, in all children and adults, we find that there is a lens inside the eye that is called the crystalline lens. This lens is normally transparent, and it is located just right behind the pupil of the eye. So when you look at a baby's eye, usually when you look at the pupil, the pupil simply looks black. Now, many children who are premature, you might see remnants of the white scar tissue from the retinopathy of prematurity, or other times it might look cloudy and gray and yellow. This clouded gray-yellow appearance is, again, sometimes associated with premature birth, and this is what is called a cataract. In some situations, when the surgeons are trying to repair the torn retina that a child might experience from the premature birth, sometimes if they're doing the surgery, they will also have to remove that lens in order to touch and to manipulate that part of the retina. So it's very, very common that the child who is born premature, they may have a cataract, which requires that the lens is removed, or that the surgeon has to remove the lens in order to reattach the retina. In these cases where a child has had a cataract removed, or if the lens has been removed during surgery to repair the retina, these children really must have a pair of glasses that are going to be a bifocal form that will focus at multiple distances instead of just focusing at one distance. So overall, we see that with children who are premature, just the mere development of the eye can be different, and they may suffer from any of these three different problems. Number one, they may have a torn or a detached retina. Number two, they may develop glaucoma, where there's too much pressure of fluid in the eye. And number three, they may also develop a cataract, or the lens inside the eye has to be removed during that type of surgical procedure to save the retina. Now, there's other consequences of being born premature. We also know that in many children who are born premature, that they may often suffer from other types of problems to different areas of the brain as well. For example, some children who are born premature may suffer from a brain hemorrhage. These brain hemorrhages are sometimes called an intraventricular hemorrhage. These situations in which there's blood that is leaking in the brain, it tends to affect the way that some of the brain cells receive oxygen. Again, 
the purpose of the blood vessels is to distribute blood, oxygen, and different nutrients to different cells within the brain. So we could think of it very similar to our sprinkler system that waters our lawn. If we have a pipe that leaks, true, there is water that's leaking all over one section of the grass, but what that means is that other sections of the grass do not get enough water. When a child has a brain hemorrhage, they find that these are going to be the situation where parts of the brain are not going to receive enough oxygen, and this often is going to affect the way that the child sees. Remember that two-thirds of the brain is involved in the process of vision. So if there is a brain hemorrhage where a particular of the brain does not receive enough blood supply, it is going to affect certain visual functions. It might affect how clearly the child sees. It might affect how a child is able to see colors, or it might affect the child's peripheral vision, or it might affect the child's ability to coordinate the two eyes together as a team. So when there is a problem with a brain hemorrhage or an intraventricular hemorrhage, we often see that there can be problems with vision, but these vision problems are related to changes in the brain and not necessarily the eye. Another type of thing that could also happen is that there are situations in which a child who is premature may also suffer from hydrocephalus. This is when there's too much water or cerebral spinal fluid in the brain, and that added pressure of the fluid could also press on some of these visual regions of the brain, and it may affect vision. There's another situation that also occurs with many children who are born premature, and this is called periventricular leukomalacia. This is a situation in which particular areas of the brain that typically are going to send information along the visual pathway are damaged. And again, because two-thirds of the brain is involved in the process of vision, when some of these connections are not developed normally, it could affect many different aspects of vision. So what all of this really means is that we see that there's two very prominent areas within the visual system that can be affected with premature birth. Number one, we just talked about how the premature birth can affect the development of the shape of the eye, the tissues of the retina, the lens, and it can also increase the pressure of the eye, which causes glaucoma and damages the optic nerve. It might also affect the brain so as a result, it's going to affect how the brain processes information. And it is also quite common that children who are born premature have problems with both the eyes and the different visual centers of the brain. When we look at the visual development of children who are premature, it's really very, very important that we look at many different areas. For example, we need to look at the child's visual reflexes to identify if there have been any damage to the brainstem region of the brain. If we find that there's problems with the brainstem, we find that some of these children are not able to move their eyes in a particular direction. They often have crossed or misaligned eyes. They may not be able to open their eyelids all the way, or they may not be able to blink. And they often have difficulties with shifting the focus from one distance to another. We must also then look at the child's peripheral vision. 
if a child has suffered from injury to the right side of the brain, many times they are blind on the left visual field with both eyes. In contrast, if there's damage to the left side of the brain, they may have blindness to the peripheral vision of both eyes on the right side. But if we check a child's peripheral vision of each eye individually, and if we find that there's reduced peripheral vision on only one eye, then we know that if it's only with one eye, the problem is then related to a eye problem and not due to the brain. So it gets a little bit complicated at times, but basically when the optometrist is performing all of these different types of tests, when we look at the clarity of sight, the ability to move the eyes, the ability to coordinate the eyes, depth perception, color vision, peripheral vision, all of these different visual skills, they do provide us with enough information to identify where is the specific problem. We also see that children who are premature will often have other types of functional problems with their eyes and their vision as well. Most children who are premature, they do have a higher prevalence becoming nearsighted. Now, what nearsightedness means is that it means that the shape of the eye is relatively too long. As a result, when light from the world comes into the eye, it focuses too close, too short. It focuses in front of the retina, and as a result, these children will very often have very blurred distant sight. It's very common that their vision is such that they could only see things clearly from a distance of two to four inches. Anything that's beyond four inches would be very blurred. And as a result, many children who are born premature will have some very interesting behaviors. We often will see that they might simply stare at their fingers that they position three to four inches from their eyes. We often see that they pick up toys and just look at them very, very closely and they could look at it for hours at a time without looking far. They sometimes will enjoy looking at their fingers or shaking their hands in front of their eyes. Some people say that these children who are premature, who have nearsightedness, they often misdiagnose them as having autism because they have some of these interesting behaviors. What we find is that the child who has nearsightedness they often do extremely well if you do fit them with glasses to improve their distant sight. It's very, very important, extremely important, that when you do prescribe glasses for a child who is born premature, who has nearsightedness, that you prescribe a partial prescription. The reason for this is that most children, they develop from close to far. They're most interested in things that are just within their arm's reach. If you prescribe to them a pair of glasses that allow them to focus just beyond their arm's reach, then it expands their world. But one of the things that is very difficult for children who have nearsightedness, they cannot adapt very easily if you suddenly prescribe a pair of glasses that's focused at 100 yards away. The reason for that is that these young children, they are not interested in what's at 100 yards away because they cannot interact with it. So it's very important to prescribe a partial prescription. As a child begins to sit independently, 
you can then increase the prescription a little bit so the child can focus at three to five feet. As the child begins to see objects and crawls for it, we can then increase the power of the prescription, and soon the child is standing and trying to walk. At that time, we could increase the prescription for a distance of 5 to 10 feet, and as the child grows older, we could then increase to a stronger prescription so that they could see at 20 to 50 feet. Another situation that often occurs when a child is wearing glasses for nearsightedness is that many glasses just simply do not fit premature children very well. Many times their face is small, the distance between their nose and their ears is short, or other times they even have skulls that are slightly malformed because they've been on their back for so long. So in these situations, it's really important that you do fit the child who's born premature with frames that are going to really fit them very well. If the frame is not fitting comfortably, the children don't wear the glasses. We find that many children who are premature are also very, very, very sensitive to the light. What happens here is that many times they may have some of the scar tissue inside the eye, and when light hits the scar tissue, it scatters, similar to the way that if you had a bird dropping on the windshield of your car and you're driving towards the sun, the light hits that bird dropping and it scatters. Well, the same thing happens when a child has premature birth and there's scar tissue in the eye the light will hit that scar tissue and scatter. So it's very, very helpful to fit these children with sunglasses, and we often recommend what's called a polarized sunglass. Now, these lenses could be either light, medium, or dark. They could be of different colors. And depending on the child's color vision, we will then prescribe a specific type of colored lens to maximize their vision and to reduce the glare. Another thing that we have to be aware of with children who are premature is they also have a very high tendency of having a misaligned eye. It might be that the eyes are crossed inward towards the nose, or the eyes might be drifting outward towards the ear, or there might be one eye that is pointing higher than the other. When a child has this type of misalignment of the eye, we have to make certain that the child is not seeing double vision. Now, this is something that's very, very important that the child is examined very often for this. The reason for this is that with many children who are born premature, the scar tissue that develops inside the eye, it actually pulls the retina and it drags the retina into a different position. As a result, many of these children, they turn their eye in a way that it makes it appear as though the eyes are misaligned but in fact, they have adapted to the dragging of the retina so they turn their eye to eliminate the double vision. So in other words, there are many times that a child who is born premature, that his or her eyes will appear to be drifting outward. It might look as though the child is looking behind you, not even looking at you. But in fact, the eyes are actually looking at you and the way that the child is able to do this is because the internal location of the retina has been dragged, and this is what the child must do in order to see single. So if these children have eye muscle surgery to straighten their eyes, 
after surgery, these children almost always see double, and the eyes will return to this outward drifting position as a way to see single again. So the point to all of this is that many children who can, who have retinopathy of prematurity, they may appear to have a misaligned eye, and we have to really make certain that the eyes are truly misaligned and that it's not what is called the dragging of the retina. Now, when we look at the development of children who are premature and we watch how they develop, we often find that they are quite delayed in reaching developmental milestones. Because of the fact that they have blurred distance vision, they often are not motivated to reach or to crawl or to grab. When the two eyes are not positioned correctly, because one eye is misaligned, it often affects their balance. It affects their ability to stand and to walk. And if a child is very sensitive to glare and bright light, these children are often hesitant to play outdoors. They're bothered by the sunlight. So when we see that the child has these types of motor delays, it's often related to their vision, and by prescribing glasses to enhance their distance vision, this could be very, very helpful. Now, when we think about the kids as they get a little bit older into the preschool years, the children who have some of those neurological issues that we talked about, such as periventricular leukomalacia, intraventricular hemorrhage, any of these neurological problems are things that are going to make the child at greater risk of having different types of developmental delays in the area of processing. For example, we know that in the back regions of the brain, this is where visual discrimination occurs. So when a child has had this type of neurological insult, they might have difficulties with matching blocks. Let's say that you give the child two squares and you try to ask the child to superimpose it or stack it. This could be very difficult because of the part of the brain that perceives the similarities and differences of shapes might not be functioning normally. It may be that these children have difficulties with sequencing objects according to size. All the blocks might appear to be the same size, even though they are actually a different size. Other children, they may have problems in the area of visual memory. They might see an object, and then they don't remember that they have seen this before. This is very often the case that you're trying to teach a child to identify and to name numbers, shapes, colors, or other types of pictures. There may be situations where the child cannot locate objects. They can't find things very easily. This is because the visual figure ground discrimination area of the brain, which allows a child to find an object that's hidden in a crowded background, is not processing the information normally. And there's also a very, very important skill, which is what we call the visual organization. Does the child understand that parts can be assembled together to create a final object? When you see children who have difficulties in this area, they might have significant difficulties assembling a puzzle. Or if you're trying to teach them to draw a square, the square might end up looking like a circle, and this is because the child's region of the brain cannot understand 
that a square is actually made up of four separate lines. So when a child is a preschooler and has some of these types of visual perception problems, these are the children who are at great risk of having difficulties in the classroom when they enter school. For many of these kids, giving them an additional year to develop these skills could be very, very helpful. Many times, parents often want their kids to be in kindergarten at the age of five or four and a half, but for many of them, their visual processing skills is reduced by a year or so. So by giving them another year to develop the visual processing areas of the brain, this could really be very, very helpful in their academic development. In other situations, some of these children may have difficulty physically seeing it because of the problems to the eye itself. And in these cases, by using optical low vision aids, special glasses that have higher levels of magnification, there's computers and video magnification screens that can make it much easier for a child who has physical problems to the eye due to premature birth to be able to see these things. So all in all, it's important to understand that the eyes and the brain can both be affected when there's premature birth. It's possible that a child might be born prematurely and there may be absolutely no indications of damage to the retina, but that child may have many, many visual problems similar to those that we talked about this evening. They may have blurred vision. They may have difficulties controlling the alignment of their eyes. They may have difficulties with depth perception, which affects their ability to walk, to reach, and to play sports. They might have problems where the brain doesn't see the differences in images, numbers, letters, and shapes, and these things can affect their learning. And what we know is that when a child has these types of vision problems, it could affect their motor development, the way they walk, the way they run, the way they play sports, and it could affect the way that they print, draw, and write. And when children have these types of problems, it could also lead to other types of feelings of reduced self-esteem, that they're not quite as good as other. I had a child today who came into our center, and this is a child who's very bright. He was born after 25 weeks gestation, but he thought that he was very, very dumb. He said, I'm dumb. And I said, why do you think that? He said, well, because I can't read the words like the other kids in the class. And this is a child who's only in kindergarten. So many times the academic demands placed on a child is greater than we might remember in the past. But again, this child did not have the visual skills necessary to perform a lot of these types of visual activities. And lastly, we have to keep in mind that if the child who is born premature has suffered from hydrocephalus, where there's water in the brain, or there was a brain hemorrhage, or maybe the child just had seizures, all of these neurological problems, they can also have other types of effects on the child's cognition. They might have difficulties with understanding what they hear due to an auditory processing problem. They might be very, very hyperactive due to the fact that their vestibular and their proprioceptive systems do not process information normally, so these kids just can't sit still. 
the child might have other types of problems with the executive functioning, the problem-solving areas within the brain. So as a result, these kids really do need to have a team approach where there's going to be many, many people there to look at the different systems. They need to have an eye doctor to look at all of those areas of the eye that can be affected due to premature birth. They would benefit from having an eye doctor performing the visual processing testing, a speech-language pathologist to evaluate how do they remember what they hear and how do they process what they hear. And they might also benefit from having a consultation by a physical and occupational therapist and also other physicians and educational specialists. So overall, if we keep all of these things in mind, we'll be able to identify those children who are premature much more quickly and we could then implement the different types of treatments and accommodations to help them succeed. So we're going to go ahead and let's open it up to questions right now. We have some time for some questions and we're going to have you unmute your telephones by pressing star six and we'll open up to any questions that any of you might have. Okay, everybody have their phones unmuted. Are there any questions about some of the physical changes to the eyes or physical changes to the brain? This is Patty. I have a question. Sometimes I see the students when they're much older in junior high school or high school. Are there continuing problems that I should suggest they look for? Yes, that's a very good question. Can a child who is now in junior high or high school still have some of these types of problems? And the answer is absolutely yes. The first thing that these children really must have their eyes examined physically each year. The reason for that, as the child grows, the eye also grows, so very often their prescription for glasses will change. They often might need stronger glasses to see the chalkboard or the dry erase board. But another situation occurs too. As the eye grows, it could often stretch and it could pull the retina. Now, when it stretches and pulls the retina, it could also cause the retina to tear and to detach. And these are things that are really an emergency. Wow. So you want to ask these high school or middle school students, number one, do you ever see things flashing in your vision that look like lightning bolts? Number two, do you ever see a bunch of black things floating in your vision where you see hundreds of little black spots that might look like flies or might look like somebody's jumped, dropped a bunch of pepper inside your eye? If they ever see these symptoms of flashing of lights and floaters, this could be a strong indication that the retina has stretched and it has become torn. And at that point in time, what you want these children to do is that they should lie down or tilt their head upwards towards the ceiling. And what this will do, it's going to then force the weight of the gel of the eye to try to press the retina back on. The worst thing that they could do is lean over and look towards the floor. And that's one of the natural reactions we do have. If we're having problems with our eyes, we often lean down and we look down at the floor. And that's the worst thing to do because the retina might just fall off of the eye. Okay. So, so the one thing is that, number one, 
middle-aged, high school, middle school, all of these types of people who are born premature are at risk of having the retinal detachment. Number two, they are all greater risk. Number two, they are also at greater risk of developing a cataract at an earlier age. And number three, they are also at a greater risk of developing glaucoma. Now, many of these high school and college students who were born premature have never had their visual processing skills tested before. So it could also be helpful for them to have their visual processing skills evaluated. This testing of visual perception, visual memory, visual spatial skills, these are things that are relatively new. So some of the kids who might be in high school or college now, they may actually have these visual processing problems and they're forced to work three to four times harder than their peers and it's because they have this visual perception problem. For example, a person who is premature might have suffered from injury to that part of the brain that allows them to interpret diagrams and maps. So one of the things that we might ask is that they might have an accommodation where that some of their studies are such that it's going to be written out in long form or that the professor will know to describe it with words rather than simply showing a slide of a chart or a graph. So yes, they really should be tested for both the eye problems and the visual perception problems. That's wow, that was very thorough. Thank you so much. Yes. Is there another question this evening? Sue, do you have any questions? Or Julie, do you have any questions? Well, I, I just, I'm just thinking about when we had Dr. Twansey, the colleague, before, and I think what Patty was saying is that um, he, he had mentioned that we, you know, you, it's just more like a comment that, you know, ROP continues and something we kind of assume is something that's, that's in the early stages and it can be resolved, et cetera. But as children do um, continue to develop and going into other grades, it's still, it's still a consideration we have to be, be aware of. And I think Patty brought up a really good point that even as children get to middle school or high school, that's still is a factor that we have to kind of address. Yes. Retinopathy of prematurity, there's always a chance that there's going to be more development of scar tissue or changes to the retina. So these children really should be seen by a retina specialist at least twice a year, in my opinion. These are some of the safest things to do. Another thing that I have found with many children who are born premature is that many of them have very interesting personalities. Many of them often report that they have difficulties in social situations. They, they're aware that they're somewhat uh, introverted and they have difficulties with communicating. And so for many of my patients who are born premature, I have recommended that they do go to different support groups and talk with others who also have retinopathy prematurity. Mm -hmm. And they have often found that it's been very, very helpful for them. Mm -hmm. So they have felt that they, they sort of didn't feel as though they were, quote, typical, but they really didn't feel as though they really fit into a totally blind category because most of them are not totally blind, and they didn't feel as though they fit into the, the totally visual population. But uh, just something about them, they often felt that they just didn't fit in, so you might also consider encouraging to go to different groups or support groups. Are there any other questions this evening? 
Dr. Bill, you included so much information that was so, <laughs> so thorough that I, uh, I'm digesting all of it, and it's been very, very useful. I thank you. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you much. And, well, we thank all of you for listening in this evening, and we want to thank uh, Mr. Joe Yurka for recording this on behalf of Airs LA. To listen mm-hmm. to this, you can go to www.airsaisla.org. And there you could click the vision link, and from there you'll find the, a table that will have the podcast. You'll click the Braille Institute podcast, and you'll find this. Or you could also find this podcast by going to www.brailleinstitute.org. So we thank all of you for tuning in this evening, and we hope that you'll join us next month when we talk more mm-hmm. about pediatric vision. Thank you very much, and good night.